five, four, three, two, one. Well, folks, you're listening to Above the Board. My name's Jeremy. Hi, I'm Brad. <laughs> hey, Brad. <laughs> Sorry, I was drinking water, man. Gotta That's stay right. hydrated. Hydration is the way to go. What's today's topic? Today we're talking about the different well we're going to be talking about railroading versus sandboxing and rpgs which is a discussion we've had many many times many times with lots of people with lots of people our very first attempt at doing this podcast was actually we were uh me you and a couple of people were all sitting on um at your living room table most of us were drunk and it was like two in the morning (laughs) and we were we just got like one of our iphones out and started recording talking about this topic um yes which just quickly turned into shit on bradley's new D campaign <laughs> <laughs> well i mean to be fair i was maybe a little hostile i was really drunk that night i do recall that yeah no and it was it just... good it, I, I think it it might have probably it probably bothered me a little bit in the moment i don't know if you could hear my mom she just opened her door I I might have been a little bit like uh, hot about it in the moment, but now I'm like, whatever. It it was years ago. Yeah. I mean, and it was what one of your first, wasn't it your first one that you did with a large group? Uh, Yeah. It was the first ever D&D anything I ever ran. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was with a horrendous amount of people for your first time with people that had never played before. Yeah, some of them th- hadn't played before, and some hadn't I mean, played for I, a few years. More people were familiar with the concept of D&D than were not. And then okay. I think about half of them had played before, and that's including you. Yeah, but even then, I mean, I still I was limited in what I had played. But yeah, I mean, you had at least one person there who we consider a veteran player. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. and, then and then I knew- another couple, th- there was a couple there that they were very... Um, knowledgeable about a popular um, D&D show, Critical Role, which we've mentioned a couple yes. times. So they like understood the basics and they knew how to play. They just have never actually played it before. Yes. Uh, which, I don't know, I mean, when I played, what I remember, it was pretty good. It just, there was just a lot going on during that mm-hmm. time. Um, it was definitely what else a learning process. Yeah. yeah. What else you been doing uh, creative-wise in the last couple of weeks since our last recording? Um, creative-wise, not a lot. Um, I've been doing some more just like really small spurts of uh, activity and projects here and there. Um, doing... Uh, hold on. Sorry. Um, I did... Um, I did like a small little like very basic D and D type thing where I just like threw together like a homebrew, I think race and uh, a couple character builds. Nothing crazy. Other than that, I've been spending a lot of time listening to podcasts and consuming a lot of media. 
Okay. So I, I get that too. Like I, I go through those kind of moments that sort of ebb and flow between being productive versus being a consumer. Yeah. Um, and I, I think right now is definitely an, an opportunity where I'm creating more. So getting back into this podcast or starting the podcast and kind of getting into recording and yeah. starting to look more into the music side of it. So I, I recently switched out my guitar. I had an old acoustic mm-hmm. that I had for years. Uh, I took it to a pawn shop and pretty much made a trade for an electric. I had a hollow body electric years ago. So this is the first uh, hard body, solid body electric guitar that I've ever owned. So plugging that into GarageBand and messing around with the amps uh, has been a lot of fun. But something that happened recently, and I, I think this is kind of worth sharing because mm-hmm. it is part of the creative aspect. So I don't know if you're familiar with Josh Kaufman's uh, Learn Anything in 20 Hours, something like that. Uh, it's a book, and I think we talked about this on the last podcast, potentially. Uh, sometimes it all bleeds together. Yeah, you but, mentioned it to me in the past. I haven't okay. gotten a chance to look into it, though. So it's the concept is pretty easy. Uh, basically, it takes 20 hours to it go from not knowing anything about a subject to at least understanding it a little bit. He does the ukulele and at the end of 20 hours, and it's, it's 20 hours of disciplined practice. And we talked about that in our second episode where you have the practice, the play and the producing. And Mm -hmm. one of the key components of practice is making sure that it is disciplined um, and it's purposeful. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, talking uh with a friend of mine and just trying to figure out what what is it that we want to spend 20 hours Uh, and i I found it interesting because last night we were supposed to come up with what our 20 hours were going to be and uh, she chose to learn italian uh, which she has kind of played around with and i was Mm -hmm. struggling because i was like there's so many things i want to learn like where do i start what do i do and she said something to me that just kind of cracked me up but it was like yeah of course because this doesn't have to be the only thing you ever learn. This isn't it. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it was like, you know, and then she made that little quote of, you know, perfect, uh, um, imperfect. Something is better than a, um, perfect nothing. And I thought, yeah, that's <laughs> once again, it, it just wraps back into my everyday life. So I chose guitar, uh, specifically blues guitar. Okay. Uh, so, uh, but basically you take 45 minutes uh, per session, uh, with intentional practice. And over the course of about 28 sessions, you'll have you'll be a lot further along and have a little bit more semblance of what you're doing and enjoy right. a little bit more and so i did two sessions today uh the only reason i did two today is my work schedule is kind of weird coming up so i yeah. wanted to get at least three in this week um so i had to do two today and i get one uh, probably on saturday but no so super cool definitely getting into this creative side uh, and playing around with some new things and some new toys and just really excited and truthfully i have you to thank for it because kind of pushing me over the edge to make me do this with you and finally getting off our butts and you know putting it down is like sparked yeah. something in me to want to do more well just remember me when you get famous and uh, i'll be your producer or something <laughs> well i think i'll get famous off of this podcast first and guess what you're coming along with that ride so hell yeah no i haven't done oh, anything man. nearly as creative as any of that um i have been doing like i said i've been breaking into the audiobook game i got audible finally uh i got a free credit for a couple books so i got the first book i got on there 
that I've been listening to is To Sleep in a Sea of Stars by Chris uh, Paolini. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Are you familiar with the Aragon books? I am. Uh, Yeah, so he... I think this is the first anything he's released since the end of that book series. Oh, wow. It's sci-fi. It's interesting. I am maybe like six or seven hours into it and it's like 36 hours or something like that oh, wow um it's, it's a, a long one. one but he's he's also he's a long-winded author so it makes sense uh, yeah, but yeah it's interesting if i remember correctly and i had read uh aragon and i had read um eldest mm-hmm. i tried to read was it bursinger or Bursinger, like i think is what it's yeah bursinger. So i tried to read that one but it had been so long since i had read eldest i just couldn't find my footing in it and kind of gave up and i've never decided to go back i enjoyed uh eldest was fantastic yeah. eldest was actually really good i yeah. remember liking that one the most uh just because i really liked the character of i think his name is Roran, if i'm remembering correctly yes aragon's brother so. I just love the idea of this otherwise normal dude who's just pushed to his absolute fucking limit uh, against literally, you know, gods and monsters or dragons and monsters, I guess, in that case. And all he had was a fucking blacksmith hammer. And he just, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it was cool. It's a cool story. Um, Speaking of dragons, I actually have been listening to uh, the first Game of Thrones book. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm probably, oh my goodness, I'm, that's like a 36 hour book. I think I'm 20 mm-hmm. hours into it. Um, uh, do you, to, right. when do you listen? When do you listen to it the most? Like when you're driving, okay. when you're working out, well, when do you, when do you listen? I don't typically listen to books when I work out. Um, I have in the past. I just find it kind of tough uh-huh. uh, to listen to the book and I find it not being very motivational. Uh, I have listened to a couple of books that are more like plays um, when I run occasionally, okay. but that's rare. Um, typically I listen to them like when I'm doing dishes, when I'm cleaning the house, uh, when I'm driving, anytime I'm doing a mundane task. So I've been in quarantine, uh, the last couple of days. Uh, I I'm fine. I'm healthy. Uh, I tested negative, but just due to policy, I had to quarantine because I was Mm -hmm. uh, around a couple of people that did test positive. So I've had this opportunity to, my house is absolutely spotless right now because I've just been cleaning a lot. So I've had, and I have noticed that the level of cleanliness in my house is directly proportional to however excited I am about a specific book or podcast. Yeah. (laughs) makes sense. I'm just like, I'm finding reasons that, oh, I want to listen more to this. And because I just can't sit there and listen to it, Uh I find myself doing something. So yeah, I was cleaning my walls. I'm, I'm the same way. I can't, I can't sit or stand and listen to an audiobook my my mind will start wandering um so like one of the other needs to be doing something you know so when i'm driving is when i uh have been listening to the podcast and the or the audiobooks the most um interesting because i drive like an hour over an hour a day uh for my commute overall so i'm able to knock out a, a good chunk of it um, now, is that like time? California hour because of where you're at? It just takes so long with traffic or is it like because you have to travel that much distance? Like you're driving 50 miles or so. Uh, yeah, that, the, the latter. I am driving. I'm driving. I'm, it depends on where I'm going for the day. But yeah, I, I drive um, anywhere from like 
50 miles to 70 or 80 miles a day for awesome. my job. Uh, but, so, I mean, but so I was going to say one thing I really, really like about this because, I mean, Paolini is not my favorite author. Um, I mean, thinking back on Aragon and that again, speaking of going back to dragons, I guess, uh, those weren't my favorite books. I liked them a lot growing up because I thought it was cool. But you can definitely see where um, how he was a young author inspired by a lot of other works came into 16. it. 16. Yeah. Yeah. He was, I mean, and I'll never disparage. Like he, he did more than in such a short amount of time with so little experience comparatively than most people will ever be able to get to do. So for that reason, he's an inspiration. Yeah. But the reason I'm really enjoying listening to this audiobook, not only is it my first one, it's also narrated by my favorite voice actor. Um, Jennifer Hale, which is okay. just awesome. Awesome. Um, she played um, my favorite video game character of all time, Commander Shepard in Mass Effect. She played okay. Basila Sean in uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Um, gosh, what else? She played... Uh, um, I don't remember what other stuff she's played in off the top of my head, but I mean, most people know Jennifer Hale. So she's narrating it. It's a lot of, a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah, a good narrator uh, definitely makes a difference. Just a complete difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Other than so, that, I've been watching The Expanse. <laughs> I just want to talk about The Expanse. <laughs> so bad. I love The Expanse. But we'll have to uh, we'll have to talk about that. It's not going to be today though. We're gonna mm-hmm. we have a different thing we're going to talk about today. This uh, thing that's uh, been know. looming. You've it's been t- literally been looming. You can go back and listen to the last three episodes, and I think we mentioned this mm-hmm. every one of them. Um, so. Why? Like, I, why is it so intriguing to us? Why does this conversation... I was actually told the other day, do you guys have anything left to say about this? Yeah, actually, we do. And we've never actually recorded it, so that's part of it. But why? Why do you yes. think this topic is intriguing to us, and why do you think we keep coming back to it? Um, I would say... It's kind of like, because we haven't recorded it, like it's okay. almost like it almost feels like unfinished business to me. Like I, I, I feel like I was never able to um, accurately and concisely get my points across, which in past discussions, it definitely f- took on more of a debate feel, which today I don't okay. think it will. I think it's literally just going to be a discussion about it. Yeah, I think um, so too. So it's not like I have a point to make or anything, uh, at least not to you, but <laughs> it's also, it's just such an interesting topic to talk about in regards to RPGs, tabletop specifically, um, which is what we're going to be focusing on. Yeah, absolutely. It has a, it has a discussion in other uh, types of media as well, like video games and so everything like that, but that's not anything that we're going to be talking about today. So as we get started, one of the things I wanted to do in this is I wanted to define exactly what we believe railroading and sandboxing are. And like you said, when we talk about RPGs, we're talking about tabletop RPGs, not video games. Uh, yeah. Realizing that the two, there are parallels to the two, but we'll keep this topic uh, mostly about RPGs. I do think that video games will come up. Um, Probably, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, but definition of them. Um, well, I mean, I think first, Jeremy, Yeah. look at our show notes. What's first? community feedback i asked oh, the yes. community questions we need to we need to honor their wishes and answering <laughs> you did you're right 
Way to reel me back in. I know. I know. I go on these tangents. Community, I want you to do something for me. Once you listen to this podcast and however long it takes for us to put it out, I want you to at Jeremy, wherever you find him on Instagram and Twitter, and just yell at him for trying to push past your valid opinions. You can find me on at board game underscore Jer on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Anyways, uh, you're right. We're going to be talking about uh, railroads versus sandbox and RPGs. And I had asked on, we both asked on Twitter and Instagram, both on our, our um, personal accounts and then also on our podcast account, um, what type of game people played in or ran as the game master most often between a railroaded game, a sandbox game, a mixture of the two. And then I also had another option in there just in case for um, if someone didn't know what those terms meant. Uh, Only one person (laughs) uh, said they didn't know what that meant. We had a couple of replies and I also reached out to my friends. um, So my old gaming group buddies, which I don't know if you got a chance to reach out to any. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. And I, I mean, I could tell you what they would say. Yeah, I probably could as well, because there's some overlap there. Anyways, 16% <laughs> said they didn't know what those terms meant, railroad and sandbox, which is, you know, a decent enough chunk that we are going to define them. Um, 16% uh, said that they most often play railroaded games, which is interesting. Um, the person that I asked, uh, they said that they almost always run the game they're almost always the dungeon master the one person that we know and you know just because i don't know about names and whatnot uh whether we should throw them out there but one person that we know played in your game the veteran in your game that we both know very well Mm -hmm. uh, i have talked to him in the past and he seems to prefer games that are more controlled and railroaded because he enjoys that story. And I'll get into that a little bit more. But did you ask him? I actually didn't. He's not in any of my group chats. I haven't, I haven't reached out to him in a I while. I should have reached out to him. Oh, you should have. Yep. Okay. So, so that we can put, many... put that as... Uh, okay. So bump that percentage up a little bit more then. Okay. 16% so uh, said that they most often play in sandbox games. This person uh, had has run a game... And has played in two games and various one shots here and there. And then uh, the rest, about 50%, said that it's a mixture, which is about accurate um, and pretty telling, I think, of the game itself. Um, Dungeons & Dragons specifically, but also the idea of tabletop role-playing games. Um, Of that 50%, about two-thirds said that skewed more towards sandbox style. So, okay. uh, I think that's that tracks with what I was expecting. I, I if yeah. anything, I would have expected the um, not knowing what the terms meant would have been higher. But I also did do hashtags that probably uh, people who would have been looking at those hashtags would have been the of the crowd that would know what those terms are. Not necessarily no, stumbled upon. I want to talk or. about the. 60 or 70 people that saw the poll and didn't interact with it folks i thought we weren't doing numbers i thought we were doing numbers i mean the one that i put up it was like 60 some people interacted with it they saw it 
and they didn't interact with the poll. So, so are we going to be using interact with the this poll. podcast as your personal platform to call out your personal uh, lack of uh, interaction with your own community? <laughs> Is that what we're doing? I just, I, and I know I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. There are times where I go through like the, um, the Instagram stories and there'll be a poll or there'll be something and I don't interact with it. And it always frustrates me because I'm like, ah, oh, I should have, even if I don't know, I should just do something because these are content creators they are taking their time to make something and I'm spending my time consuming. And truthfully, things like Instagram and Twitter aren't just about consuming media. It's about communicating through media. Mm-hmm. And so clearly, I mean, I have a lot on my own end to start working at, to get better at. Uh, but yes, I was, you know I was frustrated. A man, once, a wise man once told me, or it might've been a woman. I actually don't remember. <laughs> a wise person once told me, Jeremy, be the change that you want to see in the world. <laughs> I actually have that uh, on a, like a canvas by my door. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's where I saw it. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I've been saying it for years. Like I don't know where I got that from. It's it's pretty commonplace. I think it's attributed to Gandhi, and I don't think it's um, a direct quote. I've read some things about it before, but regardless, we digress. So, coming off of the community feedback, mm-hmm. let's define them. You know what what is a railroad? What is a sandbox? Um, a railroad, uh, for the purposes like we said, this is going to be campaigns or one shots. That's what we mean by mm-hmm. game. Um, it has players following a pre-written story with little or no personal input that would impact the outcome of that story. Basically, everything in it is predetermined. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yep. So, what would you call sandboxing? Uh, the opposite. <laughs> okay. It's a game where um, the players would have uh, near it to like absolutely infinite possibilities in front of them and options available um where they're limited only by the creativity and the rules of the game and even then you know the rule of cool is a rule of the game which specifically says rules in the game can be ignored so yeah. uh pretty much the opposite whereas railroading is everything is predetermined sandbox would be nothing is uh is predetermined a really good okay. example if you want like a super if if maybe long-winded uh, analogy mm-hmm. um i sent you a video uh by matt colville right mm-hmm. did you get a chance to watch his uh I did. his video I watched all three of them and more of other things yes his i i love that video series those that trilogy of videos where he talks about railroad and sandboxing mm-hmm. and games like that um he has an example the short of it is he has an example where he talks about uh how i almost don't even want to ruin it because this is a it's a it's a funny reveal in the the video but pretty much taking the comparison if you were to take the hobbit the story of the hobbit and had that as Mm -hmm. a tabletop game and then the story of lord of the rings and had that as um a tabletop game and he used that as the analogy of you know the hobbits definitely a sandbox the players had all the in in that example would have had all of Mm -hmm. the um options to choose from and they chose that story uh Whereas Tolkien would have been the author, or the um, the game master for that, and then Lord of the Rings would have been the the railroad. It's just a really cool example. Okay. I definitely I I don't do it justice by my own explanation. Go watch it. 
devote like 12 <laughs> minutes. Uh, I think Matt Colville railroading versus sandboxing. Something really, like that. you can just type in railroading versus sand- sandboxing and that video will come up. Yep. It's got a great Yeah, thumbnail. I mean, it's, yeah. And he's, uh, he's just a, a master in the community. He's been doing it for, what, 30 plus years. He's an author. Um, author, so, game designer. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he has some credit to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I thought would be interesting, because like you said, we there's not really much to debate here. We both... We, we kind of come to agreement as far as what we define each of them as, mm-hmm. and then it's a matter of what player preference or Dungeon Master preference is. So right. I thought what would be kind of cool is what would be some of the positives of railroading? Because right off the bat, railroading has this negative connotation mm-hmm. where sandboxing has this sort of positive connotation. It's one takes away the choice from players, takes away their agency, and the other one gives them free, free roam and Mm -hmm. gives them their agency right so what i personally don't think that any game any rpg is a complete sandbox and i would argue that if you thought it was a sandbox take a step back and realize that the story progression takes that sandbox away Mm -hmm. now i also don't think that anybody i don't think that anybody would want to play in a completely open sandbox and i think the word sandbox often gets misused or misrepresented mm-hmm. along with its video game counterpart as being open world open world and sandbox are not the same thing yes. an open world like in a video game would be skyrim call it or not call it duty skyrim or like um, grand theft auto red dead redemption mm-hmm. these are open world games the only game that I can come up with that would be sandbox is Minecraft. There's literally nothing you have to do in that game. Yeah, that's a good point. You, yeah. Uh, so it's up to your imagination, and then you have to use the rules of the game to sort of create new tools. So if you sat in a sandbox, so to speak, you know, whether it's a kid's sandbox or the Sahara Desert, it's just more sand. Mm-hmm. Without tools... It's literally pointless. You, your imagination has to come up there, but with, you don't have any tools to do anything with. All of a sudden, it's not as fun as people seem to think it is. And that's what I want to push back on is that I think the community has to stop making these two as these sort of polar opposites that one is bad and one is good. Or we need to redefine what we mean when we say railroading versus sandbox this game was i felt railroaded in this or i felt this was a sandbox and realistically then maybe it's not so much the game but how the player feels while playing the game do you want to talk about that first sure or do you want to talk about okay whatever. yeah so i'm interested where like how often do you see um that that discourse of like railroad versus sandbox which one's better this one's bad etc etc like where are you seeing that at most often so typically online and keep Um, please keep your answer concise and short (laughs) (laughs) another ongoing theme in our podcast Um, typically online i don't play uh i don't play rpgs i haven't in a while but i still like to go online and read stuff about them and watch videos on it uh, the idea still appeals to me but yeah typically okay. online why uh so when i was 
because when I was doing my notes for today, um, you know, we definitely talked. Um, hold on. Sorry. Okay. See, hold on. We're going to cut this out. I don't like how you preach this whole fucking big game about these notes. We're going to follow the notes and then you just fuck off and go to the last. Like, my notes are structured off of the goddamn show notes. Oh, well, then go back to. Um, I peek so the, hard. Back to the what are the positives of each. I started to and I just kind of went off. Yeah, yeah you I just did. went off the fucking rails. What's I'm wrong sorry. With you? I have a habit of doing that. <laughs> I'm living a sandbox podcast, man. <laughs> Uh, you're asking me what some of the positives are yeah. of each. Um, yes. When we're talking about Railroad Sandbox. I think, not I think, I know. I had a manager once who tried to get me to stop saying I think so much, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good point. It's a good point. You know, you got to be confident with what you're saying. So Railroad, um, when you're talking about Railroad games, a positive for that is absolutely the opportunity to tell as a game master to tell a much more concise or poetic or enthralling story that is more in line with what you had first intended to set out or intended to set out and tell. Yeah. Um, story driven. That's actually the first positive I have on mm-hmm. my list as well is that it's story driven. Absolutely. And the, op- and yeah, the opposite is true. If you are a player um, it gives you the wonderful opportunity to uh, be able to be witness to that, you know? So being being a story-driven uh, aspect, mm-hmm. you know, people crave structure. So even, and, and obviously as we're talking about this, we're still, RPGs still have choice. They still have dice rolls, things like that, that happen. Mm-hmm. So the positive of railroading is that it's story-driven, and that story-driven aspect tends to be more entertaining because the story's been thought through. Right. So it's not being hashed out there at the moment. There's something to kind of sink your teeth into and be engaged with and excited about. And yeah, and I think that is a definitely a positive to it. The other one I have is forward motion. What do you think about that? Or, yeah, makes sense. It, like, um, it, We'll kind of touch on it. I think a little bit later when we get into uh, the negatives of sandboxing. Sure. Um, but yeah, when you have a set idea of what the story is going to be, either as the game master that you're running or as a, or if you're um, uh, taking part into it as a player, there's not going to be a lot of room for nonsense or fuckery. <laughs> um, yeah. That's asinine, I would say. So Yeah, that... that- yeah, there's that constant progress towards a goal or I kind of like there's sort of this feeling of feeling of accomplishment that the characters have. Uh, it's kind of like when uh, when you're watching a movie and you're rooting for the protagonist. Yeah. You have a sense of accomplishment when that protagonist wins, even though you've had no agency over what the decision was in that movie or book. But you you're excited to be a part of it. Right. So a good story can do that for you. And I think yeah. that is just one of the very positives of a, a typically railroaded uh, game is just having that that story driven forward motion. Right. That actually reminds me of uh, going back to Mass Effect. Uh, it's a video game, so I guess we are going to talk about video games a little bit. Mm-hmm. That um, brings to mind. There's an instance in the third game 
where it's towards the end. Uh, no spoilers or very little. Um, so during the throughout the game, uh, especially the third game, you have what are called interrupts, um, where during a scripted cutscene or dialogue scene, uh, you can press a button and perform an action that will influence the story. Um, usually, they're drastic actions. Uh, anywhere from yelling at a person to shooting a person to running away, something along those lines. Towards the end of the game, you are at the climax of your uh, conflict with one of the main antagonists, and uh, you have the option to do an interrupt during a cutscene, which just puts this person in their place. I'm trying to be as as vague as possible to avoid yeah. spoilers, and um, it's on the end of the morality compass that very few players play through. Right. But everybody who's played that game and talks about it online says they always take that interrupt because they hate that fucking character and they want to put that antagonist in their place. So that kind of reminds me of that where, um, you kind of, there are some, there's that, uh, almost like illusion of choice, I guess, but the story is always going to get progressed which I think yeah. is a, a definitely a big benefit of doing railroads. And that's one of the things that when I was talking with one of my friends about this uh, topic, he straight up says like, if the story, if the DM has a good story, give me railroad all day long. I don't care. I want to witness that good story. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. So what about sandboxing? Uh, what are the positives? I mean, this is the one that everybody wants to have, or at least the illusion that they want to have it. So what are the positives of sandboxing? Um, I think it gives... No, damn it. I keep saying a thing. I think uh, it definitely gives you the ability to flex your improv muscles, which oh, yeah. is only beneficial. Like I can't think of a situation where it would be bad to be improv. I have good um, improvisational abilities. I can't think of a situation in life, but um, specifically with RPGs, you know, it's always good to have that. Um, and sandboxing definitely helps you build that and promote that strength and get better and better at it. Yeah, definitely. So, like, what about freedom of choice? Like, that's one of the biggest draws I think to sandboxing is that the player mm-hmm. feels like they have the freedom to choose, and that their choices heavily impact the world or the game that they're playing. Yeah, and that just that only gives them ownership over it, or at least some measure of it, which is a good thing, especially when you're doing communal storytelling, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, you know, it, it creates that player investment, opens doors for uh, unique gameplay. But at what point, maybe I should wait on that to the negative, till we get to the negatives. <laughs> uh this was a hard thing for me to break down, and I ended up uh, doing it more of a kind of an outline. I had tried doing Which you graphs, promptly spreadsheets. Ignored. I have a habit of doing that too. <laughs> but I did, like, I, in my notes, though, I, I kind of broke down um, how I wanted to see it. But then it's just the way conversation flows, I wasn't quite sure how it was going to be, how I needed to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I mean, we can talk about what, negatives now. I don't have any other positives. Yeah. I mean, I think we, I, I think we have well encompassed the, I, like, because anything that we haven't like specifically covered in detail, anybody who's listening that's worth their salt will be able to oh, extrapolate. Man. So yeah. Okay. So what are the negatives of each? Well, for railroading, um, you do not have 
that opportunity to grow your improv muscles like at all true i mean well maybe that that's not maybe not truly um accurate because there's still that uh, that opportunity to improvise improvise with your players um yeah but if we're if we're talking strictly yeah but if we're talking strictly the difference between a, a completely open world sandbox game versus a completely railroaded game Mm-hmm. There really isn't a whole lot. I mean, the improv, you're right. I mean, to some degree, I guess, yes, there are slightly improvisational skills there with just sort of the role-playing, the conversation, the dialogue. Yeah. But, but as far but as, as like... It's com- not going to matter. Yeah, as far as like communal storytelling goes, um, yeah, you definitely don't... You aren't able to, to get that, um, that muscle strengthened. Uh, it yeah. also doesn't really along the same lines, it doesn't really promote creativity. You no. know, not necessarily. Not, not from the player, from the DM. Sure. It's, it's all creative from the DM's perspective. It's their damn story. That's true. I, uh, unless they use a module, but I mean, if it's their story, then yeah, it, it, at that point you kind of wonder, Hey, why are you being a DM? Why not just write a book? That's true. You know, there's, there's definitely, um, I, I have down the lack of personal input, I think, is is my number one negative with it. It's just that you're only engaging the story for the story's sake. Mm-hmm. You might as well just read a book or watch a movie because there's just what you're doing doesn't matter at all. Um, mm-hmm. You can you can yell at the NPC. You can stab the guards. You can go left or right. And at the end of the day, you are going to do exactly what the DM wants you to do. And if the DM does it in a way that that is known early on, I think that you're going to feel that feeling of being railroaded, steamrolled through the entire progress, and you're not going to be happy. I don't think anybody would be happy with that. Yeah. At that point, it's, unless that's what you signed on for. Yeah, exactly. Unless you signed on for that, which I don't think anybody would sign on for that with that little sliding lever completely over to that side. Yeah, you know, maybe you know. New, I would say they maybe want a, a little bit to that side or a good bit to that side, just because they're not sure what to do. But I don't think anybody specifically plays an RPG to sit back and listen to a person tell them how everything is going to go. Then what's the point of rolling dice? What's the point of doing anything? That's fair. That's true. But also, you can't knock it till you try it, Jeremy. <laughs> I mean, true. I've never tried it, and I don't think I'd ever want to. But you never know. Some people might like that. I think. Um, it's true i think one of the restrictive aspects of it too is that it you said it that you can't be creative in it Mm -hmm. um and i think one of the reasons why is because there's no problems to solve and that really i think at its heart at the root i mean you're telling a story but the interaction comes with these fun and unique problems that come up that you as the players have to sort of solve and it's kind of i won't tangent i'm gonna I just, what do you think about them? No, I agree. I want to hear this tangent what, now. What about sandboxing? What are some of the negatives of sandboxing? So I, I briefly touched on it um, before, which, so it's, it makes sense, right? If you think about it, the, uh, the negatives of sandboxing are the positives of railroading and vice versa is true. Yeah. Uh, yes. So with sandboxing, a true sandbox the likelihood 
or the possibility of just chaos or nonsense or just dumb fuckery uh, is so much higher uh, in lieu of, you know, creativity or imagination um, of communal storytelling of being witness to a impactful, enthralling, inspiring story that you were the player or the DM um, set out to tell having a truly sandbox world can just totally mitigate that by choice of the players. Um, just fucking off doing whatever the hell they want to do because there's no direction because there's no direction, which is exactly what happened in my game. Yes. And y'all bitched at me for having a railroady ass game. Reality, it was a true sandbox, and you just thought you wanted a sandbox, but in reality, you didn't. I, I definitely didn't, and we talked about that at one point. And I, <laughs> once we get past this, I, I have an, I have a solution. I'm going to solve the problem of railroading and sandboxing. Oh, really? Um, so stay tuned for that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I also have I a think, solution. I have a good. really well thought out we're here. couple sentence thing. Um, what about you? What what I, I think, negatives do you well, see? Think, uh, one, it needs tools to become interesting. So if you think about a, if you think about a sandbox, a literal sandbox, uh, it has sand in it, mm-hmm. and the idea of a sandbox is you can do whatever you want. Just the sand is your world, and whether you're playing in the sandbox or you're playing in the Sahara Desert, you just have more sand. You need tools, mm-hmm. and whether that be a shovel or a bucket or a castle form, whatever it may be, you need tools to make that sand interesting. Now, you can kind of make it interesting for a brief amount of time, and I think that's where the fuckery comes around, yeah. where it's like we're trying to make it interesting because we don't really have anything else to do. Uh, but once you have those tools, now you can start to create something within those tools, within the confines of those tools. Uh, and I think that uh, having a few tools to transform the sand, it's, it's kind of what makes it fun. But then at the same token, having too many tools kind of makes it unfun because you're, you're stuck again with that abundance of choice, which is the other negative I have with a sandbox. There's just when the DM looks at you and says, okay, what do you do next? And that was one of the things I argued with you. I say argued, but that I kind of struggled with your campaign was that Mm -hmm. it's difficult for people, especially if you haven't played a lot. I think it's difficult to really know when you say, okay, what do you want to do? You you can do anything. Um, A new player is looking at you like, well, I don't, I don't know. What should I do? You can do whatever you want. Yeah, but what is it that I should do? So I think giving the player sort of that two things, a couple of options. Go ahead. Uh, I don't remember ever saying and doing that myself. I don't remember ever like refusing to give advice. I might have. I don't remember. But I will say, did I? No, you you didn't refuse to give advice. Okay. But secondly, the more important one. Uh, I'm, you're attacking me, dude. You're attacking me right now. I feel, no, <laughs> I took that personally. <laughs> oh, don't. So don't because that's in your example. That's not what I mean. I know. I know. I know. I'm just fucking around now. They're gonna think we hate each other now. Uh, we do. <laughs> but we live so far away. You actually moved to California to get the hell away from me. I understand. That's true. That's true. Uh, so in your analogy with 
you know, needing the tools to make it interesting uh, for mm -hmm. a sandbox with D and D and other RPG tabletop RPGs specifically are the, are the rules, the tools that you're talking about, or do you need, are you talking about more like metaphysical, like the game master provides tools for the players that are outside of the I, confines of the rules of the game. I think it's a little bit of both. I think the rules of the game kind of create the boundaries of the sandbox. I think mm -hmm. they create the, uh, well, they create the parameters that you work around. Okay. Um, whereas the storyline, the tools would be what populates of, the world then that the, the game master has populated the world with, whether that's a storyline yeah, or characters uh, or yeah. magic items or yeah, dungeons. I think that's whatever. fair. Okay. All right. Makes sense. I agree. Yeah. So I guess now that we got that kind of out of the way, I'm kind of curious, why do you think that railroading has such a negative connotation and sandboxing is, dare I say it, revered? <laughs> so in my experience and in my opinion, uh, railroading has a negative connotation I think stemming from the same, if not similar stigma of the idea of the, of the game master versus the players mentality. Um, I think those that, um, that have that innate thought process of wanting to win at D and D or win at the tabletop RPG, uh, especially win at your story, whether, whether it's over, uh, whether that winning is over the players as the game master or winning over the game master as the players. I think that really does lend itself to that negative connotation of railroading bad, sandboxing good. Because it's the idea okay. of like, you know, if I can do whatever I want, there's no way the GM is going to win. Uh, or, um, you know, if the GM won't let me do whatever I want, then I've lost. You know, what's like you said, what's the point? If I can't do whatever I want. Do you think it's that they lost or maybe they feel that if I can't do whatever I want, then I really have no control over the story at all. So it becomes an all or nothing uh, mindset. I, th I think there's no difference. At least in this scenario. Okay. I think, I th I'm, let me rephrase that. I think the people who have that mentality of, of winning or losing at D and D or RPGs in general, um, in their minds, not being able to do anything that they want to do would be the same as losing. It's not the only way so, to lose, but it is the same as losing. It, that's the experience that I've had with many players and discussions I've had with other people. So if, okay, so if that's the case, uh -huh. and what we just talked about from the definitions and then even going into kind of the pros and cons of both i think it's fair to say that any game that is good that you're playing in that you have enjoyed is somewhere in the middle if you look at it as from a seesaw aspect mm -hmm. in order to find balance in the game you have to be somewhere in the middle you can't be completely on one side or the other because really the idea of that sandbox game it's appealing because they offer freedom you know, right it's whatever you well, want now hold on Whereas the, hold on go ahead you didn't answer your own question oh <laughs> why do you My think bad. railroading has a negative connotation would you agree with me or would you would you think it's something else would you would you say it's partially correct no i do i, I think you're partially correct i mean I, I think you're correct 
I think it's true to you. And I, I think that railroading, it's, it, there's no choice. You know, when we think about railroading, mm-hmm. we think of a game that has little to no choice and we will drug along. Whereas sandboxing, we have this idea that we have unlimited choice. Right. And we take story out of that unless we're talking about railroading. So I think truly, I, I think that's what I want to change. I want to change the stigma that railroading bad, sandboxing good. Because I don't think that's the truth. I agree. I think... Be- Go ahead. I agree. <laughs> I'm glad. Listen, um, I'm trying to... I'm trying to make sure that we have a discussion and not a tangent. Okay. My tangents. Yeah, that's good. I need that. I agree because you remember Uh, earlier when you, when I asked you earlier where you had heard that, uh, that discussion about railroading versus sandboxing, mm -hmm. which one's good, which one's bad, where it had asked you that the most, where you've seen that the most. Yes. Um, where I had seen that the most was I've seen it more often with players than GMs. Like, even just the connotation of one is better than the other. I've seen that more with players. I think that makes sense, though, because, I mean, be realistic here. What GM is going to go back and say, well, I surely railroaded those guys. They're not going to be happy about that. Yeah, There may be a few, but I just don't think that's the the overall. And I, I think it comes back to that idea that the railroading and sandboxing isn't as literal as we think. It's more of a feeling than a type of game. Absolutely. It's, you know, you, I, I listened to a podcast um, earlier today, yesterday, when I was kind of doing some more research and they called it, they said it's more like an amusement park. And I thought this was fantastic mm-hmm. because the idea is that you can walk around that amusement park and you can do whatever you want to do. But when you go to get on that roller coaster, you go to get on that ride, you're committing to that. So it's kind of like that where, you can do whatever you want. And Matt Coville mentioned this, and I thought it was brilliant. He mentioned it in one of those videos, and he talked about having six or eight low-level modules at his fingertips. Now, take in mind, the guy has been doing this for 30-plus years, but mm-hmm. he's got six or eight low-level modules, and he starts them in a town, and he sort of throws these ideas out, like, oh, there's this you know, god, uh, th- this temple over there in this city that something got taken. And you can make it, Something that the players want by simply telling them, well, you know, it's it's your God. It's the God that you've sworn fidelity to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what's intriguing. And, and from an experienced DM, he's he put them in the center of all of these rides. When the players then make their choice, that's the player's agency. They go onto that. They strap in. They take that ride. And maybe there's parts in that ride where they get off early or they stay on a little longer than than anticipated, but they do commit to a specific set of rails within those games. And I mm-hmm. think that's what makes games interesting. Yeah, I agree. That's a really that's a really good point. It's um, man, Matt Colvin has a way with uh, communicating ideas. So yeah, yeah, he does. I like and that. It, and you know, it's kind of like. Would you say that the illusion of choice is sort of the the greatest tool set that a DM has? Because they're giving sort of this, if I want to tell you a story and there is a an overarching plot here and I want you to find that big bad or I want you to fight that dragon by the end, mm-hmm. we may take our time getting there. I'm not going to force you to get to it, but eventually we're going to get there because there's a story there and that story is going to be fun. Yeah. 
I was talking you, with um, a friend earlier, and he said ex- pretty much exactly that. He said that most games are going to have elements of railroading and elements of sandboxing. It's going to be a mixture of the two. Um, mm-hmm. But generally, um, a good game uh, is going to, you know, you might not necessarily have that overarching bad guy or story all the way through as an element of the game, but eventually it's going to funnel down to it. Eventually that, that choice will be brought back up um, through player actions or not. So, and as a DM, I, I think something that could happen to sort of help progress that is that mindset of there's always something else. If the environment is living, Mm-hmm. You know, if it's not a static environment, you know, you could have that idea that, okay, you have these three choices. You could go to one of these three towns. These are the things that are happening in each of those towns. And the players say, I want to go to town A. Fine. But later they can't say, well, you know what? There was that mission that we could have went back to town C to save those goblins. I'm sorry. You you didn't go there. <laughs> they did their damage. That that happened. Right. Because the world is living and breathing. Um, and that's where I think it is a little bit different than a video game in a sense. And I think that kind of creates that that feeling of the players feel like their choices impacted the environment. But then from a game master thought process, just because whatever excursion was created in those other towns, just because they didn't go there, it's easy to say, yeah, that they destroyed everything. Well, because you didn't give any information about that plot, that's still a tool available to the game master later on down the road. The players may still experience that exact same thing. They just don't know they're experiencing the same. And that's where good storytelling, communal storytelling, I think, comes in. Yeah, absolutely. It's like that age old uh, uh, idea uh, for RPGs where I think what is it called? Like the quantum troll or something like that, where uh you give your players an option of road A or road B and no matter which road they go down, there's going to be a troll because you want them to fight a troll. Mm-hmm. It's that idea is definitely more railroady, but you can extrapolate that. Um, look at it from a macro perspective and then add a little bit more mm-hmm. flexibility to it. And you got yourself a good game, baby. Yeah. And I, I, you're right. And I think that's where a game master becomes like really hits the pinnacle of good. Um, I think there's a, a flip side to that as well. Uh, I'll talk about in a minute, but I, I wanted to, as I was researching, one of the things I came across was um, this uh, professor at Caltech. He's a professor of behavioral economics. Mm-hmm. And I know you're probably thinking to yourself, like, where the hell does this come into play? So Colin Camera did a study where they, they took participants, they put them into an MRI, and then they gave them a set number of choices and then studied brain activity. And they had a couple of different options, a control group and whatnot. But basically at the end of the study, this is what they came up with is that the ideal number of options and a choice is somewhere between eight and 15. Uh, It depends a little bit on like the reward that's being offered. And then also the risk that's being offered. And then that person's personality and sort of their upbringing. But for the most part, between eight and 15 is that ideal sweet spot of choices. Uh, that's a lot more if than you I don't have it, it would be yeah i thought so too i thought it was a little odd but he, what they said was like if if you have too little of choices your brain feels cheated you don't feel like you have enough to to make your decision off of mm-hmm. and then too many 
you become overwhelmed and you become stagnant. Right. So I think that's kind of when you're thinking about RPGs, it's it's funny that like more choices sort of stifles that creativity. So you as a player end up dumb fuckery. <laughs> that's why you're killing the guards and why you're doing dumb shit yep. because you don't know what to do. Right. And when I, I mentioned that earlier where you thought I was attacking you, <laughs> where going back to that, you're about I to think trigger we're me. A, I'm trying, I'm trying. Uh, I'm thinking that if a DM can offer something to the players where, and, and just recognizing the difference between veteran players and new players, I, I think that's where it comes down to, but, but offering those new players who sort of are stifled by too many choices, giving them a couple of choices. And right. it doesn't have to be. It's it's one of those like A, B, C, or D, and D is none of the above. Like I don't want to do any of that, but you've given me some ideas. Now I kind of have an idea of what I can do, right? and maybe I can try doing that um, to see what happens. Yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm agreeing with you. I don't know what you want to say. I know. I know. Uh, yeah, so – at the end of this, you know, we're an hour into this. What what do you think is the best? <sighs> I really am loving the new um, cherry cheesecake ice cream that Ben & Jerry's has. So good. <laughs> what do you mean, what's the best? I mean, for you, if if you're a if you're a player, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, what do you want more of? We started out. We asked the community what they wanted, whether it was more railroad, more sandbox, a mixture of the two. If you look at it from a seesaw, a, a seesaw approach, where you know one side is all railroad, one side is all sandbox. The fulcrum in the center of the seesaw is you know it's one hundred you know it's fifty fifty. Where do you fall in that seesaw? How does it balance to make it the most fun for you? I would say probably right down the middle, honestly. If I'm being totally honest. Yeah. Right down the but middle. Do you think that comes because of the experience that you have? Do you think – where do you think that will be five years from now if you play more? Do you think it'll stay there or do you think it'll move one way or the other? I imagine it'll move. Which way? I don't yep. know. Interesting. Which, where do you, where do you sit on the seesaw? I think as a, <laughs> I think as a newer player, as somebody who's not as well-versed in RPGs, I probably am closer to the, uh, the railroading side. Um, as far as balancing out, like I, I guess technically to balance it, I would be on the other side. I need more railroading in my game mm -hmm. to make me interested because realistically I am more into it for the communal story aspect of it. Right. I'm, I'm not playing an RPG for that open-ended, I can do whatever I want, roll the dice and have fun. My old roommate would be. He would be very much on that side, and which is fine, and that's the game that he likes to play. Uh, I just personally want more of that communal storytelling. I want my decisions to make a difference. So for you, but I, Jeremy, yeah. for you, mm -hmm. does the communal storytelling and having your 
choices make a difference. Is that fun for you? Yes. So yeah, then very much would you so. say <laughs> that tabletop games, the purpose of them is to have fun? I would absolutely say the purpose of them is to have fun. Okay. And with that, okay. it, it comes down if I you're gotcha. a, a GM. <laughs> After five years, I got you. you're a GM. <laughs> okay. Once upon a time, if you argued a... it was not the case. That's true. I, I've grown. I've changed a little bit. Uh, yeah, um, you're old as fuck And now. I would say, yeah, I know. But I would say at the, if you're a GM listening to this, or you're you're thinking about diving into being a game master or a dungeon master, you know, understand what the players at the table want. Yes. You know, one, don't take on too many players at once, but understand <laughs> what they want. Yes, absolutely. And and, and sort of balance it for that. Um, and, and understanding that is sort of how you help progress the game. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's just you and a couple of people who are spending, my God, two to seven to eight to 12, however many hours you're going to spend each session. But you're going to spend that time with each other. And you might as well have fun doing it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. get a different hobby or a different group. So, Jeremy, I have one last question for you. Okay. Um, do you think that players and DMs or GMs look at uh, railroading and sandbox in a different light from the other? Do you think, Absolutely. Do you think they have a different light? Like um, I definition? Do. Okay. Absolutely. I agree. And yeah, what, yeah, I, I 100% think that it's, it's different from players to DMs. What do you think it means? Because we, we went obviously into detail from the player aspect. What do you think it means for the DM, uh, the railroading and sandbox? Um, hold on. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I almost think that, I think that they would they would view it the same. It, like if you take any given player in DM, they would they would view the I, the uh, definition, the basic definition of railroading and sandboxing is the same. It's the if anything, the connotations and the reactions to them would be different. I think. Um, okay, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I, I guess I could get on board with that because I mean, in my idea or in my mind. Um, a, a GM who's doing their job, which the job would be to make sure the players are having fun, uh, to yeah. the best if they're doing their job to the best of their ability, um, they're going to view those two, um, the, the two options, railroading and sandboxing, as the different sides of the same coin, right? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I think I'm following along. So, like, if done correctly, um, <laughs> none can defend. Which, you know, if done correctly, the players, they shouldn't be able to tell what type of game they're playing. Right? Exactly. But, but it comes back to that illusion of choice. Yes. And, you know, so one of our friends uh, who has ran numerous games at my house, other houses, you've played in his games, I've played in his games. Mm-hmm. He does something really interesting. And I still have yet to spend any time talking to him about this. But I'm pretty sure I figured it out. Mm-hmm. I think he does. It's the meta approach. 
where after a person makes a choice at the end of a session, when you're playing an RPG, at the end of a session, everybody just kind of sits back. And when you had those really big choices between, you know, if left or right made a big difference, yeah. at the end of the game, inevitably, somebody or everyone will ask the question, what didn't I get because I didn't go over there? Yeah. And I think his improv skills to be able to throw out what they didn't get, I think they were going to get exactly where he wanted them to be. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Yeah. And I think when he says, if he says, nah, it's not the case, I think he's lying. <laughs> I think he knew exactly which way he wanted them to go. But I think he's smart enough to play the meta. Having that story from the other side makes the player feel, the player, not the character, makes the player feel, oh, I missed out on that. Yep. Your brother did that. Yeah. Do you remember um, the one of the, it may have been the first game I ever played. Was that with the vampire? We, we went, um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was. But we after we went through know, goblins or something, we killed them. And there was a throne at the top of the mountain. And after we got out, and we finished. Remember, he said, "Hey, you guys missed that big treasure that was right beside the uh, <laughs> the throne behind it. Nobody went and searched that. Asshole. <laughs> it's like, OK, but but that made us hungry and made us realize going forward. OK, there was there was something there. We missed it. Mm -hmm. We could have went on and never known about it. But because he said that, even if there never was, he may have never wanted to give us anything. He just wanted us to know that in the future, look around. Yeah. Spend some time. And I think that's one of the tools that a a DM has. Um, And I think that is leaning more towards that railroading approach. And I think that's what makes games interesting. They make it dynamic. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it wasn't, if it was just that open world of, what would you end up doing without a story? Yeah. Killing NPCs? That's fun. Right. Yeah. Man. So did we answer it? Did we did we give have we ended this debate? Are we never going to talk about this again? Um I'm sure it'll come up. <laughs> but I I do have my closing arguments for the debate. <laughs> closing arguments, quote unquote. Do it. Let's hear it. So here, here, here it is. Oh, it's prepared. Okay. The profound, nice. the profound statement that we will end the podcast on. Actually, I don't know if we're going to end it on this or not. Uh, the profound statement that you've all been waiting for. So, if the story is compelling enough, there should only be the obvious choice. And if the possibilities are truly endless, the adventure writes itself. That's where I that's where I stand on the railroading versus sandboxing argument, and that is from both perspectives, I, as a player as a I DM. I think that is a a great great way to end this debate that we've had quotation fingers debate <laughs> quotation uh, fingers. And I, yeah, because this is not really a debate at all, as we said in the beginning. Um, but I'm I'm wondering, listeners, now that you've heard this, you can go on and Google. Uh, sandbox and art and railroading and you're going to come up with a thousand and one things this is my goodness i think this probably started back with gary gygax uh, gary gygax mm-hmm. i i think it's been around since the beginning of time this that's an interesting um, question would you say gygax is more of a railroad dm or a sandbox dm hmm i don't know I don't if i could, know. could i don't think i don't think he i think Depending on the situation, he probably skewed towards one or the other, but I think he was right down the middle. 
Maybe. I, I think I would have to read a little bit more and, and come back to you on that one. I, I don't think that I can answer that intelligently right now. All right. Fair enough. So, Should that be our, our mini take a gander? <laughs> Go find out <laughs> if Gygax was um, a, a sandbox or railroad DM. Well, we'll get back to you the next time we do an RPG. We'll, uh, we'll have an answer for you. Uh, for that topic mm-hmm. um, but yeah listeners if you have anything at all you want to add to this or maybe you don't like anything that we said and you think we're both stupid uh, by all means send an email to us at above the board at gmail.com uh, they can reach us on what's our social media platforms uh, it's above the board podcast at gmail.com oh yes above the board podcast at gmail.com yeah. And what about our Instagram and our Twitter? What are our handles there? How can you add us? Uh, above the board podcast. <laughs> oh, that was so it, easy. I got it real simple and real easy for everybody. Yeah. Perfect. So above the board podcast, look for us out there in the uh, the interwebs. Mm-hmm. Folks, Jeremy, my name's Jeremy. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Jeremy, what are you doing? We're not done yet. Oh, I thought we were done. <laughs> Jeremy, where can they find you on Twitter and Instagram and online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at boardgame underscore jer. Twitter, I have no idea. I have one. I think it's that board game guy at Twitter. I don't know. I check it once in a while. Maybe that'll be my homework. I'll figure it out. I'll bring that to you next time. <laughs> what about you? Where can we find you? Uh, so I believe it's the same for either one. Let me double check. Um, you can find me. Yes, it is. At Twitter and Instagram pros underscore b underscore rad that's pros be rad um yeah hit us up let us know what you think about the podcast let us know what you think about the discussion today or any other previous discussions we've had uh no don't forget stay creative folks stay creative don't forget to i'm gonna steal i I wonder if i'll get sued for this uh don't forget to love each other i'm gonna steal matt mercer's sign off I think that's probably okay. All right. That's all for me. I got nothing else. Have a good night. All right, folks. Talk to you another time. Bye. Bye. I'm still recording. Okay, I'm done now.